Abraham and Sarah had no idea on this day how God would send a message that would get them laughing. In their old age, they would have a baby. <laughs> a reading from Genesis chapters 18 and 21. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of, Namri, of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice, flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? They're in the tent. I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. The Lord said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> the Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me and everyone who hears will laugh with me. Who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I will never forget the night of November 6th, 2012. Javen and I, with countless others, had worked for more than a year to defeat the marriage amendment that was on the ballot in Minnesota. We'd done so much as staff members in the faith department of the campaign, leading forums in church basements all over the state, helping with events that raised millions of dollars. 
getting up early for staff meetings and staying up late to lead phone banks in the cold night hours. In the last week before the election, we had basically occupied the University of Minnesota campus in Minneapolis, teaching in classrooms there, walking around with Vikings punter Chris Cluey, storming the, the student dorms and disrupting cafeteria dinner on election day, all trying to load young voters there onto waiting buses. But with such exhaustive efforts, there was no guarantee that night of how it would turn out. More than 30 states at that point had taken such measures and every single state had lost such fights to, to this point. Going into election day, the polling was too close to call on the amendment. We were in a virtual tie. We spent the whole election night party refreshing our browsers, hoping for the best, but prepared for the worst, even after all that work. It wasn't until the wee hours the next morning when we were about to, to go home that the cry went up and victory was declared. What we had dreamed for and labored for for so long, yet feared to hope in too much, lest we be disappointed, had actually come to pass. It was hard to believe it. Goodness and reform did prevail, despite what to that point had been centuries of anti-queer laws and practices. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? We wondered. Abraham and Sarah know even more what it is to live with fearful despair. At the time we see them in this scripture reading, they've been wandering nomads for decades. Ever since the disembodied voice of God called them to go from all that they had ever known to a mystery that God would show them. They've heard the divine promises of a child for Sarah many times over, but it's been so untrue to this point that Abraham asked God to recognize the hired man Eliezer as his heir. And Sarah forced her servant Hagar to have a child with Abraham. Despite God's promise to make of them a great nation, Abraham laughed in disbelief in the previous chapter when God promises a child through Sarah, and now it's Sarah's turn to overhear these visiting strangers with bitter laughter. They have the audacity to suggest the impossible, that despite being barren her whole life, and now post-menopausal, with a husband a hundred years old, she would bear a child. The hope that Sarah may once have had is now dried up with cynicism. She says, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? But the unusual visitors respond, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? As the story continues, what Jesus later says in the, to the disciples is true here also. For God, all things are possible. It is, of course, not necessary to have a child in order to believe in God's goodness. 
But for Abraham and Sarah, that's the form that the impossible takes. God unravels their hardened despair and resignation with the joy of a newborn laughing child. Sarah, the poet, turns her earlier cynicism and doubt on its head. God has brought laughter to me, Sarah says with wondrous disbelief, where once she laughed in scorn and mockery at what seemed like an impossible promise. Here she names the child Mitzach, or Isaac, meaning he laughs. This child's birth seemed impossible. And under the same circumstances now, we would still say that it was so. But Abraham and Sarah's assumptions about God and what is simply beyond the limit of the possible have been expanded. We read that God did for Sarah as God had promised. God turns out to be reliable after all. The impossible has been born, has been realized, and so Sarah laughs. Walter Brueggemann writes that laughter is a biblical way of receiving a newness which cannot be explained. The newness is sheer gift, underived, unwarranted. In other words, as the visiting guests say, is anything too wonderful for God? In our own day, though, we might reasonably wonder if there are some things beyond the reach of God's intervention. How long does this country have to wait for Black Americans to be treated as equal to white Americans? Must there be an endless cycle of death by police, public outcry, then forgetfulness and policy in action for black and brown people in the human family? Black bodies have been subject to police force going back for hundreds of years ever since slave patrols began even before this country was founded. Despite every form of nonviolent and violent protest proclaiming the equal humanity of black people, mostly white bystanders have not yet risen up with equal vigor to say that pervasive racism must end. What else could it possibly take to unravel the knots of white supremacy and systemic inertia? Will the enactment of all people are created equal remain forever as barren as it was when the Declaration of Independence first proclaimed it? And what about the other social transformations which we long for in the world? or the personal deliverance from sorrows that we ourselves are waiting for. Is there anything too wonderful for God? This morning we gather as people of faith, caught between the despair of Sarah waiting for long delayed promises, yet hearing as well the impossible laughter of Isaac's birth 
We're in the position of knowing the assurances of faith that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, that Jesus promises blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Yet without the evidence of that sort of liberation yet in our public life. We await God's appearing, not at the oaks of memory, but at the oaks of our own homes and at the oaks of public life. We wait for despair to unravel into joy, for new heavens and a new earth, as the Bible proclaims. I want to believe, and by faith, I can promise you that laws, practices, and hearts do change. I've seen it happen myself. We're not stuck with the idolatries of anti-queer bias or of white supremacy forever. God makes promises and God fulfills promises, even though sometimes it feels daunting or even impossible. Yet the end of white supremacy that we wait for does not arrive on the wings of inevitability. And white people especially are called into action by the Spirit to hasten that day. One of the things that's been notably different in the recent protests for Black Lives, as compared to protests in the 1960s or even five years ago in Ferguson, is how many white people are participating and raising our voices for justice. Even the largest corporations are declaring the once radical statement that black lives matter. White bodied people and white cultured institutions are starting to recognize that to be on the sidelines as mere observers is to be accomplices in the crimes of police brutality. White silence equals violence as protest signs point out. So as we await the divinely guaranteed transformation of pain into joy, we have work to do as caretakers of this arriving promise. We can increase our learning from people of color through podcasts and books and film. We can speak to our family members and friends about why black liberation matters to us as people of faith. We can be on the lines of protest ourselves, or we can visibly support such efforts for change through our donations and our voices. We can hasten to the acts of mercy, relief, and proclamation that we see in the hospitality Abraham and Sarai extended to strangers who bear the voice of God. As a predominantly white congregation in the mostly white suburb of Edina, this is how Edina Morningside Church shows up. How we can demonstrate a public commitment to the equal humanity of black lives. It demonstrates our faith that God can surprise us like Sarah and Abraham. God can unravel the inertia and despair of racism with unexpected joy and solidarity, even in our own times. There's one story from this week I want to leave you with that embodies a birth of such solidarity. 
Pastor Ingrid Rasmussen from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Minneapolis describes what happened when a neighbor, Brian Dragonfly, approached her. He's an employee of the Native Heritage Center, McGeezy Communications, which, as you might know, was burned in the protests, burned to the ground. Brian Dragonfly said that when he arrived to assess the situation, in the words of Pastor Rasmussen, he found that the building was still burning. I decided to capture the fire, he said, holding up a lantern that he was carrying. He wondered if Holy Trinity would tend the fire with McGeezy until they could rebuild. He thought that the flame, the fire, might bring some comfort to his community. So Pastor Ingrid hurried with him to the sanctuary. Brian set the lantern on the altar and she ran to find a candle. We shared the fire, she says, and along with it, the trauma of the preceding days, the conviction that not all that was destroyed is to be mourned, and the hope that this ashy moment in our neighborhood's life will be an opportunity for new life. McGeezy shared on Facebook, despite the flames, we as a community burn brighter. We look forward to showing our resilience once again. Pastor Ingrid Rasmussen describes returning to the flame in the sanctuary. She said, I decided that I needed to bring it home for the night. I'm more than a little fire conscious right now. I attended the flame that night. Congregants take over this sacred responsibility today and in the days to come. By the grace of God, solidarity between that largely white congregation in the Longfellow neighborhood of Minneapolis and a neighboring community organization led by people of color is possible. It is kindled in the flames. Let us, as people of God today, look for opportunities to do likewise until joy and laughter are fully realized, until solidarity is born and white supremacy is no longer. Because as we see time and time again, though it is long in coming, in fact, nothing, nothing is too wonderful for God. Amen.